We have been talking a little bit uh, in the passages that have been read about prayer. And I believe that prayer is one of the most natural things for anyone to do, whether you're a regular church attender or not. I think that any time that there are people in need, when you're feeling like you're out of control, that uh, there are things happening that are perhaps frightening, that it is natural to call out to someone. You might not even know who that is that you're calling out to, but it's natural for us to do that. And uh, when I think about that, I think of an experience I had a number of years ago when I was visiting with uh, an atheist in his backyard. I mean, this guy was a, a diehard atheist. Uh, in fact, he was so strong in his atheist beliefs that his blog is actually called The Atheist Missionary. So he's pretty pretty strong uh, atheist. And we were uh, sitting in his backyard and just visiting and talking about uh, faith and, and uh, theology and religion and all of these things. And then out of the darkness, we see this skunk coming towards us. And we were hoping, like, he's going to see that there's a couple of humans here, so, you know, go in the other direction. But no, this skunk kept coming and coming and coming, and it basically came right up to us. And you know how a cat will, like, rub up against your legs? That's what that skunk was doing to us. It was that close, rubbing up against our legs. It would stop. There was a little table between me and this other fellow, and uh, the, the skunk was just spending some time under the table there, and, and me and this guy are afraid to say anything. We're just, like, looking at each other, and then he, uh, he the skunk moved off a little bit onto the deck and then came back to the table, and then off he went back into the darkness. Now, I'll tell you, I was praying pretty hard there. I was really, that was an awesome experience for my prayer life. And although that atheist still to this day denies that he was praying, I believe he was. I mean, how could you not? How could you not be praying when you have a situation like that? So it is natural for us when we're, by the way, I didn't get sprayed in case you're wondering what the, the final thing was, but uh, it is natural for us to pray. However, even though it's natural, it doesn't mean that there's no room for growth. There are things for us to learn about prayer, and there are ways for us to be more effective when it comes to prayer. And I find that the story of Nehemiah is a wonderful model for us to understand prayer. So you might not even be familiar with Nehemiah, so I'm just going to give you a tiny bit of background so uh, we've been looking at the, the history of Israel and how uh, Israel got into some trouble with the Assyrians and then uh, the southern part of Judah, they got in trouble with the Babylonians and they went off into exile and they were away from their land. But the Persians took over and because the, the Persians took over, they were much more uh, compassionate and willing to to work with their uh, the, their subjects. Uh, basically their attitude was uh, instead of trying to control them by fear, let's gain their loyalty by doing good things for them. And one of the things was to allow the people to go back to their country. They can rebuild their temple and to, to do all of these these other things. That's, that's what was going on. And Nehemiah was living in the Persian Empire. He wasn't at this point uh, in Jerusalem or in Judah or Israel or anything like that. He's in the Persian Empire and he's working uh, for the king. He's the cupbearer of the king, which doesn't sound 
very impressive, except for when you think about uh, in those ancient days where kings were often worried about being poisoned, uh, they really cared about who was their cupbearer. They needed to make sure that this person is watching that cup all the time, that no one's slipping anything into that. And so the cupbearer is a very trusted person in the king's court. And that's the, the situation in which uh, Nehemiah is in. And then we're going to take a look at what we find in his experience. And through that, I see that there are three stages of what prayer life should be like. So the first thing that we find in this story for Nehemiah is that he receives some messengers from Jerusalem, some fellow Jews who come to him and are sharing about how things are going back in Jerusalem. And things are not going well. It's it's not good. Uh, the, the city is a mess and the people are filled with despair. And even though they're allowed to be back in their own land, it is just not going well. And we can think perhaps of, of uh, uh, news reports that we've had of, of refugees who might come back to their uh, their country, to their land, and, and things are just complete desolation. So it is not a good time. And uh, Nehemiah is hearing these words, and it breaks his heart. It, it just makes him so upset to hear that his fellow countrymen are going through such a difficult time. And this is the first stage of prayer, and that is simply being aware of what the needs are, to to actually know what it is that we should be praying about. And there's many ways that we can be aware of that. Uh, One of the ways is simply by being in community. When uh, we gather together, uh, whether it's on a Sunday morning worship service or a a small group Bible study or just a a couple of Christians meeting at Tim Hortons, when we share the needs that are on our hearts, whether it is something happening to us or something in our family or some other burden that we have, we share those stories with one another. And that is a part of being aware. And that's one of the reasons why we gather together as Christians. Yes, it is to worship and it is to learn from the Bible, but it's also to be aware of each other's burdens and to be able to to respond uh, in prayer. Another way that we learn is through technology. Really, we have no excuse not to be aware of what's happening in our world. Uh, We can be completely aware of things that are happening right here in St. Catharines, uh, when there are have been these these terrible suicides that have been going on in uh, St. Catharines, we know as soon as it happens. At the same time, we know when there is a natural disaster elsewhere in the world. We know when there is a terrorist attack. And I know that uh, many people will say, I don't even want to listen to the news. I am so sick of hearing about bad news. I don't want to know about that suicide. I don't want to know about that disaster. And I'm sympathetic towards that. I understand it can really wear down you, and we definitely need breaks from that. But at the same time, as the people of God, we need to be aware of what's going on around us. Do you think Nehemiah was happy to hear this message about what was happening in Jerusalem? No, it really bothered him. But we need to hear these things as well. Even if it really weighs upon our hearts, we need to be prepared. But we find in this story that not only was Nehemiah aware of what's going on, he was moved. It really touched his heart. He really was affected emotionally 
by what's going on. And that's an important part of being aware. It's one thing for us to hear, okay, yes, there's been a, a famine here. There's a drought here. Uh, there has been a, a hurricane here. We can be aware of that. But what does it do to our hearts? Do we, do we feel anything about that? I, I've thought of the, the words like uh, compassion and sympathy that we have. Uh, compassion uh, literally means suffering with. That's what it means. When you have compassion upon someone, it's not that you are aware of their suffering, but somehow you're entering into their suffering. You're allowing it into your heart that you're willing to be touched by that. Uh, sympathy uh, also means to feel with. So if you have sympathy for someone of what they're going through, it's not just you're aware of it and you realize it's unfortunate, but you're actually allowing yourself to feel those emotions and to be to be moved in our hearts and to be moved to prayer. And that brings us to our second stage of what we're to do. And this might be what you think of purely as prayer. This is the only stage there is. But I see in this passage, it's only the second of three stages. So what happens is Nehemiah, he hears what's happening in Jerusalem. Uh, he's concerned about it. He's moved in his heart about what happens. And so he begins a time of prayer. But to notice how Nehemiah prays. He doesn't pray the way uh, many people pray today, which is to give off their list of things that they want from God. Uh, God, uh, this is what's wrong, so I want you to do A, B, C, D, E, and F, and please get to it as quickly as possible. Amen. That's how we often pray. And I have prayed like that many, many times. But that is not the way Nehemiah prays. His prayer is very rich. If you look at some of the things that he says in here, he begins by by praising God. Now, when he's praising God, he's not buttering him up. You know, he's not saying, oh, I'm going to say some really nice things about God, and now he's going to be more likely to give what I want. And that's not how it works. Uh, rather, he's acknowledging that he is in relationship with God, and by praising God, he's positioning himself in the proper place in that relationship. And he is putting himself at the mercy of God. But he is acknowledging that it's not God is not just a, a source for us to get what we want, but a, a person for us to interact with. And that's what he's doing by praising him. And then we see that he has a time of repentance, where he repents with his people. Now, we get no sense in this passage that Nehemiah was particularly sinful. And yet he includes himself in this repentance. Uh, this is something that we see elsewhere in the Bible. Uh, Daniel chapter 9 is another example. Uh, Daniel is not very sinful. In fact, he seems to have uh, no issues in that way, uh, according to the scriptures. And yet he includes himself in the repentance. He's willing to stand with his people and to repent for the sins that they have committed. Uh, Nehemiah also reminds God of the promises. Now, that might seem strange to us. It's not as if God forgot that he had made these promises. And, and Nehemiah says, oh, and God, remember, you said this and this and this. And, and God says, oh, I totally forgot that I was supposed to do that. Okay, sorry, Nehemiah, I will get to that as soon as possible. That is not what's happening. Uh, really, what's happening is Nehemiah is reminding himself of God's promises. And he's putting himself in a place in which he can... Uh, pray from a position of faith, that he is confident that God has promised these things, and so he can pray in strength in that way. And then, of course, Nehemiah does go and actually asks 
for uh, what is needed, the actual situation that's going on. He brings those needs. And we should never pretend that uh, we shouldn't do that. Sometimes I'll hear people go the opposite way. Instead of giving a, a list of all the things that they want from God, they feel like it's unspiritual for us to ask anything. But that's not the case. Uh, God is our Father. And uh, even though he knows all of the things that are in our life, all of the needs that we have, better than we know, he still wants to hear from us. Uh, just as uh, any uh, human parent wants to hear from their child, they might be aware of what the needs are, but when they come and make themselves vulnerable and and state what their needs are, there's something that's happening in that relationship. And so that is very important. That is a part of the prayer that takes place. Now this brings us to our third stage, which you might think there shouldn't be any third stage. The moment we say amen then that is it. It's kind of like sending an email, right? Uh, you hit send, and it's gone. And so your amen at the end of the prayer, you've just hit send. Uh, the, the spiritual email has been sent off to God. Now there's nothing left for you to do. But that is not the case. What we find in this passage is after Nehemiah is finished with his prayer, he goes to the king to bring his petition. In fact, the prayer that Nehemiah prayed was not that God would do something through someone else, but rather he prayed that God would use him to help his people, that God would use the the unique position he has in the king's court to make a difference for his people in Jerusalem. He was willing to be a part of the answer to prayer. This is so important. It is easy for us to pray uh, about anything, to say, oh, there, I see someone uh, who is homeless, or I see someone who is hungry. God, send them someone who's going to help them. Uh, but what happens if God wants to use us as the answer to prayer? Uh, oftentimes, you, you'll hear people say something like, I'm just going to leave it in God's hands. I'm going I'm to just leave the whole situation in God's hands. And that sounds really good. It sounds really spiritual. But I think we're missing something there. I think more biblically is we leave the success of it into God's hands. Because what if God wants to use us as part of the solution. Uh, we might look around our community and we see all kinds of needs that are around us. So we might be concerned about the downtown poor. Or we might be concerned about children in our congregation. Or we might be concerned about shut-ins that we are familiar with. We might be concerned about refugees who live in our community. And so we are, we've gone through the stages, we're aware of the needs, and we are uh, touched in our hearts, we feel the burden, and we go to God and we pray that God would help them. But what if God wants to use us as part of the answer to prayer? Are we including ourselves in that prayer to say, okay, God, I see this need for children. I see this need for the homeless. God, what do you want me to do as a part of this? I'll tell you an example that is very, very personal uh, to me. As, uh, as you know, uh, uh, our three youngest children are all adopted, and uh, we had our, uh, our two uh, biological children, uh, Logan and Abby, and they both uh, have autism. They were at home with us at the time, and then we received justice, and he came, 
and we didn't know if maybe he might have some special needs as well. And then we found out that Justice's mother was uh, pregnant uh, with another child. And I had told Amanda that uh, we, I just did not feel comfortable bringing another child in. I thought that Logan and Abby, with their autism, was, uh, our hands were pretty full there. We didn't know what was going to happen with Justice. And I, I just felt like we were at the, the end of our resources there, that raising these three children would be enough. And so I told Amanda, uh, we cannot uh, bring another child into our home. And uh, she could tell that I was pretty serious about it, so she, she didn't fight me on it at all. But I felt the least I could do was to pray about this child. And uh, so I would regularly, in my prayer life, I would pray. And I, my prayer was, God, could you bring this child, uh, when, when it's born, to the right family who will care uh, for uh, this child and, and to, to love that child? And I would pray that regularly. And then one time, as clearly as I've ever heard from God, I felt like God said, what if you are the right family? And that shook me. That absolutely shook me. And I'll tell you, I didn't tell Amanda that I had that experience. You know why? Because I can't win a fight with Amanda when it's just me, when, when it's just her. But when she's got God on her side, there's just no way that I'm going to win that argument. And so the, the day that Emma, and that's the, the, the baby that we're talking about here, the day that Emma was born, uh, uh, Amanda looked at me and I said, okay, let's go to the hospital and let's go and get her. And uh, she didn't even want to know why the change of mind happened. She wasn't going to uh, rock the boat. It's just, okay, I, I've come along, and, and she was ready to, to find out. And so that's that was an example for me that I realized that God was wanting me to be a part of that answer to prayer. And I am thankful that I was obedient in that particular example. But what are the needs that you know of, and what ways can you be an answer to prayer? When it comes to Nehemiah, Nehemiah is never going to be one of the, the superstars of the Bible. In fact, there's probably some people here who had never heard of Nehemiah before we talked about him this morning. He's never going to be in the, the same league as uh, Moses or David or Peter or John the Baptist. But Nehemiah is important, and he's important for giving us a very practical uh, model for prayer. Three stages to be praying along with, that we would first of all be aware of the needs, that we would be moved by that awareness, that we would be burdened and feel those emotions, that we would actually go through the process of praying, not just to give a list of demands to God, but to actually uh, have a really rich time of prayer talking to him about what is on our hearts. And then finally, being willing to be a part of the solution, to be willing to be a part of the answer to prayer. Uh, it's not the easiest way to pray, but it is the most biblical and the most effective way. Let us pray. God, we thank you for Nehemiah. We thank you for what he teaches us about prayer. We pray that you would continue to remind us of these principles. Uh, we pray that you would make us aware of the needs that are around us, that you would put burdens on our hearts Help us to lift those needs to you on a regular basis. And Lord, we make ourselves available to you to be a part of the solution. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.